Colossians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1. I want to read um, all the way from 1 to 10 real quick. We're going to go back and, and we're going to hit some of these points. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. I'm going to stop there. It's been a wonderful passage as I've been ruminating on it this, this week, just reading it over and over. I'm not just even reading it. I, my, my phone, I have a Bible program. It reads the Bible. So when I go to sleep, I'm turning on Colossians and just letting it read the whole book to me as I sleep and really just trying to soak in what does God have? What is he saying here? And this, this morning in this passage, we're going to touch on a few things. And the first part is in verse 1. It says, For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you. And those in Laodicea, say, for many has not seen my face. What is this conflict? We can pass by and go, so he's struggling, but this conflict is not just a struggle of his desires. His struggle, it's, it's, his conflict, his struggle, is actually struggle in prayer. He is praying for the church in Colossae. He's praying for the Laodiceans. He's praying for these churches that he had a part in planting, whether it was by him directly or through Epaphras or through other, other means. He's praying for them, but he's, he's not just praying, he's struggling in prayer. Prayer is something that we need to pick up and, and struggle through more and more. I believe uh, there's some great, great quotes on prayer that make us think, but some, some of these are extremely powerful quotes that I've heard on prayer. Nothing happens except through believing prayer. Now, what a powerful statement. If that's true, we're in trouble because we're not praying, so therefore nothing's going to be happening. You know, prayer is, prayer moves the hand of God. Now, why God chose to move through prayer is kind of beyond me. He's all-powerful. He does not have to wait for you to pray in order to do something. But He chooses to. So often, He's willing for us to pray, to join Him in His will and His desire for the... Is that me? Okay, no problem. No problem. Are we, getting, are we okay on the recording? Great. That just keeps you awake. He's going to do that every 12 minutes because you say about every 12 minutes you need to. Um, but, you know, rewind if you come back to prayer. We, we need to have this, this focus in prayer to understand that, that prayer does move the hand of God. Why he chooses that, you know, he could just be moving all the time, and he does, despite our lack of prayer. But I truly believe that, and we find in the book of Daniel, this is going to be a message on prayer, so I'm going to go quickly here. But even through the book of, of Daniel, that when Daniel began to pray, the angel says, the moment you set your heart to pray, I was sent. So what is this, this, this connection between us and the Lord in prayer? He is waiting for us to pray. And the moment that we begin to pray, something happens. And, and the Bible talks about that wrestling prayer. Paul's struggle here is, is he's praying, and it's not just God bless them. 
Like, like sometimes our prayers are, and I believe God, God can hear that too. There's a prayer that I, I personally know, God bless the world. That's an empty prayer for me. Because the, the world is too big for me to say, God bless the world. But, but you might be able to move your heart to really go, God. And you just begin to picture the, 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 the need, the lack in the world, and say, God bless the world. But it needs to be connected into something that's passionate and emotionally connected into us to see that's really our heart. Prayer was a huge point for Paul. If prayer isn't powerful, if prayer is not something that actually works, then why does Paul talk about it so much? He, Paul says in his letters, things like this, I pray that he may strengthen you with power through the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit with all kinds of prayers. I know through your prayers what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. He says in Thessalonians, pray continually. He tells the people, pray for us. Pray that we may be delivered. Lift up holy hands in prayer. Paul was one who believed that prayer was important. So as we read those things, let's not gloss over and say, wait a second, prayer is important. How is your prayer life? Are you praying? Are you trusting in the Lord? Now, sometimes we go out and we begin to pray. Even Daniel began to pray, and the answer took a while to come. It took, sometimes the answer takes a while before we see it, but we continue to pray. Prayer is moving that hand of God, and it's so important to press in in prayer. And so, so in the beginning of this letter of the Colossians, it says, I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you. I've been praying for you. What has he been praying says that for all those that even those who have not seen my face, what? That their hearts may be encouraged. That their hearts may be encouraged. What a great thing to pray. That's something we should be praying. Is you, even just now, look to your left and look to your right and say, I'm going to pray this week to encourage their hearts. That God would encourage their hearts. Now, the English word encourage is, is really a neat derivative. It actually comes from French. And if any of you speak French, I can't say it well. But, but for, the, the French word for heart is, is core. Encourage means with heart. So when you encourage, the English word came from that derivative with heart. So when you encourage somebody, you're, you're enheartening them. Now, we go, those are interesting words. Let's think of some of the opposite words that we've heard of. Disheartened. Heartsick. Heavy-hearted. Those are the opposites of encouraged, which is heartened. That your heart is, is livened up. There's something fresh in your heart. And, and that's what encouragement is. And who could use a little encouragement today. Hey, who's got a heavy heart? We carry these burdens and Paul is praying and really is, as an example to us, pray. Pray that we might be encouraged. We need to have that encouragement from the Lord. We're going to find out where that comes from as we go through this, this message this morning. The word in the Greek is the same word or the same base word. It's paraclethoisine, but it comes from paraclete. The Holy Spirit is called the paraclete. He's the comforter. He's the comforter. So when he says encouraged in the Greek, it's that you would be comforted. And, you know, I, I think of my, my kids as they were all growing up, Matthew, each of them had their little things, little blankets. And what, when they were going to sleep, what did they want? They wanted their little paraclete. They wanted the little thing that just made them comfortable. And then, then in would go the fingers, and, and they would just kind of cuddle up, and they would be comforted by that. When they were a little scared, that was something that brought comfort. As we've grown up, we don't have a blanket, but we still need the paraclete. We need to be comforted. We need to be encouraged. And the Lord is the one who can do that inside. In fact, too often we're looking for outside sources to be our encouragement, 
outside sources to be our comfort. Paul's not praying, God, give them a lot of things so they're comfortable. God, God, give them a great job so that they can be encouraged. He's praying that they would be on the inner man, on the inside, that they would be encouraged, that their hearts would come alive and, and know that, that peace and that comfort from the Lord. We don't want to be those who, who would dishearten others. We don't want to be those who have a heavy heart. We want to be lighthearted, strengthened heart. We want to live life with heart. And this is not something you can just muster up. You can muster up a smile. You can muster up some temporary happiness. You can give it your go, and, and that's what we do all, too often. We muster this up, or we, we make some mantra and we chant some things, but really the, the biggest encouragement needs to come spiritually from the hand of God coming into our life, not just from external sources. Is there any value in, in positive confession? I think there is some value in that. But it leaves you short. Positive confession is just a mind thing. It might encourage you for a while, but what we need to do is, is stand and confess the Word and have the Lord bring that Word to life inside of it, not just words. You can even just confess the, the Word, but if the Lord is not attached to the Word, it's logos and not rhema. It's written, but it's not alive. We need the living Word of God, Jesus, inside of us to bring the encouragement that, that will get us through day to day. So go ahead and pray. That's the first part of his prayer. Lord, I pray that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. You know, when we the body of Christ, we, need, we should be joined together in an amazingly special word. The word here is really great in the Greek. The word knit together in the Greek means knit together. It just means <laughs> brought together, strengthened with each other, in unity. And, and this is what he, the second part of this, this portion is saying, that we need to be driven together in agreement, in unity. It's not just to, enough to be knit together in unity because we believe the same thing. He says that I pray that they would be knit together in love. In love. We can agree on a lot of things. But the moment something comes up that we don't disagree on, we're no longer in unity. But when you're knit together with somebody because of the love of God, the love that God has for you, the love that you have for God, and the love that God wants you to have for one another, that bond is strong. And here's the proof. Family doesn't agree on things a lot, but they are bound together in a unity of love that is deeper. You can go, and, and if you have relatives, even children, or brothers or sisters that are not saved, you can be so frustrated with them and be angry at their lifestyle, or they're angry with you because you're pig-headed, and there's this, 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 this distance there, but because you are siblings, there's a level of love that binds you in unity. Paul's prayer is that we would be bound together in the unity of love, and our emotional relationships with our family is so shallow compared to the immense love of God. He wants us as the body of Christ to put aside all of the differences that don't, don't change salvation. And he wants us to love one another, but not just love. He wants us to be knit together, that when there's a problem, when there's something, an issue coming up, that we would stand by them in love. Now, love isn't always pretty. Sometimes love is tough, and we've been going through some tough love in our life group this last couple of weeks. But we love one another. We stand together because we're knit together. 
But the Lord has to keep doing this because sometimes we get upset and we begin to flesh out and we begin to want to distance ourselves from the issue, distance ourselves from our brothers and sisters. And Paul keeps praying, no, that they would be knit together in love. Beloved, let us love one another. First John 4, 7, right? First John 4, 7 and 8. God, let us be knit together, not in our minds, but in love. That surpasses our thinking, because so much of our thinking is stinking. God, let us truly be knit together. It goes on here and begins to go into some wonderful things. So our hearts may be encouraged. Prayer is so important. The prayer for one another that these things will happen. And Paul is praying this. And, and since we've never seen Paul's face in the flesh, he's prayed this for us. That we would be in unity. That we would be encouraged. And then going on, it says, And attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, that is a mouthful. You know, read it from the, the ESV. And there's some wonderful versions out there. This is another good one. Attaining to our riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding, to reach all the riches of full understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So, what is that? The riches of full assurance. When you are confident, when you are sure of the situations around you, doesn't that, isn't there just a richness there? Isn't there just like, I know what's happening. The full assurance that can come as we know the Lord and know Him deeply and intimately and nobody can bring up a question because we have that assurance of Him. He's praying that we would have the riches of that assurance. And that assurance, that doesn't come lightly. It ought to be fully assured there's a cost that we're going to pay. There's a cost that we're going to pay to know the Lord so fully that we are fully assured. The riches that will come are confidence, their peace, their strength, their joy, because we are fully assured of what we're about to talk about, of the mystery, of the knowledge, of the wisdom of God in Christ. But it's not just that, that they might know me a little bit. It's that they would be fully assured. Those moments where you just go, I don't doubt. It does. I do not doubt. There's times in our Christian walk that, that everyone that's in here has doubted and you've been immediately ashamed that, you know, wow, after so many years, I still question, God, are you really there? God, are you really there? That is something that's common to man. But he's praying that, that, that we'll have that full sense and the riches that come with it. When we're in doubt, our lives are topsy-turvy. They're unsecure. But when we're confident, when we're sure, everything seems better. We know what's going on. That's in the flesh. That's in the natural. Sometimes we think we know what's going on and we're confident everything seems good and then it falls apart because what our trust is in isn't trustworthy. But when our trust is in the Lord who is trustworthy and we're confident in Him, our strength, our hope, our assurance, our peace, all of these things are strengthened. And that's He's praying for us that we would have that full assurance. It's a spiritual key for us. It can't be gained from study. It has to come from within, knowing the Lord. 
Do, do we study to know him? Yes, that's part of it. But it can't just come from reading the word. And it can't just come from a sermon. It can't just come from spending your time with Christians. It can't come from listening to Christian music all the time. It comes from within when you and the Lord are having relationship. And the Lord is welcomed in your home. And that he's living his life out through you when you've said no to the ungodliness and you're not quenching the spirit and you're having that life. And it also, it does come as we, as we read his word, but he has to make it alive. It comes from the empowering and dwelling Christ and God the Holy Spirit. He gives us that full assurance of understanding. Christ is God's mercy as we continue going on. It says the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. Christ is the mystery. It's not unknown to us. And in, 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 here in the passage in Colossians, they would speak about the things of God as a mystery because it, he was not fully revealed to the Jews up until this time. It was a mystery. What is it going to look like? What does God look like? What is this mystery? And so they talked about the mystery of God. The Old Testament was just closed. And now we're in a New Testament period. So it's not that it, even in this moment it would have already been revealed, but he's just speaking that the mystery, and he's helping them know the mystery is Christ. That we would know and be fully assured of the knowledge of Christ. That we would know Him intimately. That we would know Him deeply and passionately. We would uh, ha have that relationship. The mystery being Jesus Christ. Romans 11 says, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. They're unsearchable. They're so deep. We need to know Him and keep knowing Him. It's a mystery as we get to, to go in and get to know Him. And there's such depth of richness as we plummet that relationship with the Lord. In God the Father and Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge reading on. In whom, in Christ, is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We, we, we want wisdom, we want knowledge. I want to know, give me wisdom, give me this, give me knowledge. In Christ is found all of these things. They're not found anywhere else, but the world is trying to tell you where you can find them. You can find them at school. You can find them from experience. Wisdom comes from experience. It is in Christ. And Christ is knowledge. Christ is our wisdom. So important to have wisdom, but not the wisdom of the world. Solomon prayed and asked God for wisdom. We know the value of wisdom as you read Proverbs. Proverbs cries out of 51 times wisdom is spoken in the book of Proverbs. By all means, get wisdom, he cries out. Wisdom is supreme. How much better to get wisdom than gold? Wisdom will save you. Get wisdom throughout the book of Proverbs. But what kind of wisdom are we talking about? It says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but that's just the beginning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but it's only the beginning. We need to plunge into the depths of God and begin to get His supernatural wisdom. There's even a spiritual gift, a spiritual gift of wisdom. 
I'm a real stickler on this point. Where there's a, you know, people take tests and go, oh, I can, you're so wise, you must have the spiritual gift of wisdom. You can get wisdom from living life. When I was young, I was always told, you are wise beyond your years. You have wisdom beyond your age. It was all natural wisdom. That was that I had because I had experienced a lot of things, but the supernatural gift of wisdom is wisdom that can come in a moment when you don't even have your own natural wisdom. That can come in a moment that says the world says this, but the wisdom of God says this. There's a difference. Now, wisdom is we should have wisdom. I raise my kids to be wise. They don't always heed that, but I'm trying to teach them how to be wise in the things of the world. But we're talking about a spiritual wisdom that comes from knowing Christ and being open to what he would say in a moment. Not, of the wor- not that the world would say. 1 Corinthians one twenty. Where is the wise man, it says. Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this, philosopher of this age? Has God made, not made foolish the wisdom of this world? The wisdom that we're talking about in Colossians is not just regular wisdom. It's Godly wisdom. It's not man-made philosophies. You know what the word philosophy means? Lover of wisdom. The word phileo is love. And Sophia is wisdom. Philosophy means lover of wisdom. Any of you who have gone and taken a philosophy class in, in college level knows that that's not real wise. That's not a right wisdom. Is it wisdom of the world? Yes. It's not godly wisdom. That's a whole nother thing. So even though the word means lover of wisdom, we're not talking about man-made philosophies, man-made wisdom. We're talking about a spiritual depth, a spiritual wisdom that comes from knowing the Lord. How do we get that? Ecclesiastes 2.26 says, To the man that pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. As we set our hearts, as we set our lives into pleasing him, he begins to give us wisdom. He begins to give us happiness. He begins to give us knowledge. But we're living a life that we're pleasing to Him, which means that we're in fellowship with Him. We're in relationship with Him. That's what pleases God. Not our works, not the things that we do for Him, but being in relationship with Him is what pleases God. And as we do that, He gives us wisdom. Paul, in letter of Ephesians, said that he prayed that God would give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation that they would know him better. So now you've got a circle. You've got a circle that we're getting to know him. And he says, now I'm going to pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we would know him better. And then as we do that, we're just going to continue to know him better and get more wisdom because we're going to be in him. We don't look outside for the questions of what should I do. We look inside. Lord, what would you have me do? What would you have me do? A few years ago, Pastor Eric in Oakdale, it was, in the, it was, it was about a, a year and a half before the, the crash of the real estate market. And things were just going crazy. He got in towards the beginning when they called him to be a pastor there. It was just before the housing boom or just as it started picking up. So he got in at a good price in his home. And things were just skyrocketing. And it was just amazing. And he, and he felt like he heard God. He was walking. He says, sell your house. And he says, that's crazy. God says, no, sell your house. And then go rent a house. And, he said, and, and so he started talking to men of God. We're wise men. 
And, and, and he says, what do you think? This is, this is what I felt like God told me. I, I think I should sell my home. And at that point, it was, was up in value a lot. Um, it wasn't at the end, though. It was, it was still going to go up about another $100,000 by the time it ended. And these other men of God said, I just, I just don't I think that's a wise thing to do. Don't do that. So he, he heeded that wisdom. The market went up, topped out, came back down, and his house became less valuable than it was when he bought it. But had he listened to the wisdom of God, and he shared this testimony, had he listened to the wisdom of God in that moment, and he really was pretty confident in it, he would have literally been able to sell his house, take the money, rent for a couple of years, and buy his house back, and have a couple of hundred thousand dollars left over. Now, I believe God was speaking to him in that moment, spiritual wisdom in a natural thing. Isn't that awesome? Now, we don't always get that, but, but as we spend the time in our life, he can direct us. He can give us a wisdom that is beyond our understanding, not just in natural things, not just so we're not talking about philosophies. Now, keep moving on, we've got a few things to cover, so I better pick it up. Yeah, this is such a great, great passage here. Whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now I say this, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. Now I say this, this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. Right there is what happened with, with Pastor Eric. Other people came in and said, no, that's not what we should do. We don't want to be deceived from the wisdom of God. We need to have that full assurance. It goes back to, are we fully assured of who God is? Are we spending time with Him? Do we know His voice? Do we know His presence? Can we tell the difference between a man-made philosophy and a godly philosophy? What is it? We don't want to be those who would be deceived with persuasive words. The ESV version says that you would be delude you with plausible arguments. Delude you with plausible arguments. Not anything that comes at us is crazy. You know, sometimes we just go, well, that sounds really good, right? And that, that's probably the basis for many of our decisions. Hey, that sounds pretty good. We usually don't say yes to, that sounds pretty dumb. <laughs> hey, let's do that. That sounds dumb. No, these things, we're going to be led astray with plausible arguments. Arguments that go, wow, that makes a whole lot of sense. But God, many times, not always, says, I have got something above sense. We're not sense ruled. We're not, we're people of the Spirit. And if we're tapped into the things of God, we will be deceived by something that makes a lot of sense. Don't be deceived. There is a treasure in God of knowledge and wisdom. Wisdom and knowledge. We need that spiritual wisdom that comes from the hand of God. And oh, is it so rich. Is it such a treasure? That is real treasure. To know the Lord. To know Him intimately. To be fully assured that who He is and who He is in us. You know, Satan wants nothing greater than destroy you. And since he can't steal your salvation, he wants to ruin your life. He wants to deceive you and he wants to delude you with fine crafted arguments. What kind of arguments are you listening to? What kind of arguments are you hearing? What's going on in that cavity between your ears? 
You know, sometimes these deceiving words, they come through people. And sometimes it's just through our own minds. Whether thoughts are put there by the enemy or they're just floating around because we've entertained them in the past. We heard something and they're in there. Our brain is amazing. We live on less than 15% of its capacity. We operate on a daily basis. Everything you've ever seen or done is all stored in there. And sometimes these thoughts just come back out. You go, where did that come from? And it's just bouncing around and say, what am I going to do with this thought? Don't be deceived. Don't be deluded. We need to press into the Lord and know Him. Get that wisdom. Get that knowledge from God. Don't give those thoughts a place in your life. This is, I take every thought and make it captive, obedient to Jesus. We need to have our minds washed, renewed, but through the water of the Word. Know God. Get wisdom. Get knowledge. So now we turn a little chorus. says, For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the Spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and steadfastness of your faith. So he started off, these are the things I'm praying for, these are the things you want, and but now he says, I'm, I'm not there, but I am rejoicing to see your good order and steadfastness of your faith in Christ. I want to take that first word, both these words, order and steadfastness. You know, order is not haphazard. It doesn't just happen. That's the problem. That's the problem with, with evolution and the Big Bang theory is, you know, order doesn't come out of chaos. Order is something that takes work. And he's saying, I am, I rejoice in your good order. It's structured. It's purposeful. And our, our walk in Christ needs to be on purpose. You know, if you want a clean house, it's not just going to happen. You need to purpose in your, in your heart and then in your actions to get the house cleaned and to keep it in, what do we call it? Oh, it's in good order. The house is in good order. I learned that when Shannon went away the first time when we had a few kids. Because my house is always in good order. It's not spick and span. It's not perfectly clean. But it's always neat and tidy and it's in good order. And the first time she went away for an extended period of time when I had kids, I'm like, What happened? I thought a cleaning fairy usually would show up and clean this thing for me. By the time she came back, it, it, it would not have been a good order. I, I, I waited till the last day. That's what guys do. Come on, right? You know, the house will be trashed, but on the last day we'll clean it up really, really good. It doesn't just happen. It has to be purposeful. And he's rejoicing of the good order that's happening. Good order and steadfastness. They were not just in order, but they were steadfast in that order. Now me, I can keep something clean for a couple of days. But for a couple of months, it gets, that's just, I, I just, I'm a messy. I'm a messy. You gotta be purposeful. So you can have things in order, but if you're not steadfast, then it's going to fall away real quick. So he's saying they were in good order, but they were also steadfast. To be in order continually. It's established. You know, when something's established, you go, it's not going anywhere. What do, what do businesses say? And, and, and this is a, a tough time to say this, but you know, business, oh, it's an established business. 
It's, you, it's giving you confidence that it's not going to go anywhere. That's what he wants us to be established. Now, we know now financially and the, the business is closing, man, there's not too many things that are going to continue to be established. We're living in chaotic times that way. But, but that's not the way it can, is in the Lord. We can be in good order and established. You can't be hit and miss and, have a, and be a success in business. Imagine if you had a store and only got in supplies occasionally. And only opened up when you felt like it. You know, Guatemala seemed like some of the stores were like that. You're not going to be successful. How about your walk with the Lord? You know, I'm going to pray occasionally. And I'm going to be open to the Lord every once in a while. Our walk with the Lord needs to be purposeful. It needs to be in order. And that's hard for some of us who ha- have less discipline, for some of our personalities, so, so much more that we need to say, this is important. You know, even if your personality is kind of, hey, I'm a, I'm a party waiting to happen. You know, you're an auto and you're just, hey, if somebody calls me and I'll go there and I'll go there. You've got to feed your kids every day. You get dressed every day. You probably take a shower every day. You've managed to work beyond your personality to get these things done, even though you're flitting around and going to there and going here and going there. You've gotten these things done. Why not add to that, I am going to purpose to spend my time with the Lord. Not let that relationship go. you got a purpose, even if it's against your personality type, to spend that time. Get that in order and be steadfast in it. Keep it going. Keep it going. Our faith must continue to grow. It has to get in order and be in order, then established. The foundation of our faith must continually be enlarged and deepened. And we're going to continue on, and he touches these things as it goes on. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. We receive, how do I receive Christ? By faith. We receive Christ by faith. Some of us were in a, a horrible situation, and we cried out to the Lord. Maybe some of us, I know some were addicted, and they cried to the Lord, but, but it was a reception by faith. You are God. I have no proof. But I, I believe that you are my Savior, and you are the one. So, so as you have received Christ, Jesus, Lord, so walk in Him. So we received Him in faith, and now we walk our walk out in faith, in Him. We believe Him, we trust Him, we learn more and more to love Him and believe Him and trust Him even more. But we walk it out in faith, and we continue to walk it out. You know what walking is? It's progress. When you walk, you're getting somewhere. Even if you walk around the same mountain, and you will in your walk with Christ, you're moving forward. It's a pilgrimage. Our Christianity is not a destination. Our Christianity here is the journey. That journey will end until finally we get to see Him face to face in heaven. And until then, we're all works in progress, but we have to walk. You can't get stagnant. Paul used walking in almost every one of his letters. In chapter 1, Actually, every chapter of Colossians, he talks about walking, walk, move. Other time, book of Ephesians, um, he says it, walk worthy of the Lord, walk in wisdom, walk in love, walk as children of light, walk in good works. We need to walk, we need to be moving forward, not just thinking we've arrived. Now, how many of you want to even admit that at some point when you were, were young in the, the faith, you thought, you know, I can't wait till I finally get there. 
And you look a couple years down the road and you thought you were going to arrive. You looked at the, the, the men of God, the women of God, and you want, they have no struggles. Someday I'm going to be like them. You, the only difference, you just didn't know them. You just didn't know them. And, and, and you kind of sit there and you're like, am I ever going to arrive? Uh-uh. You are never going to arrive. Keep walking. Keep moving. Let that get, let your well get deepened. Let your walk with Him be strengthened every day. But don't stop. You know how hard it is to, to get a, a, a big locomotive moving if it's stopped? It's nearly impossible. But once that thing gets moving just a little bit, you can hardly stop it. Keep moving. Don't stop in your walk. Don't stop. In faith. We don't just walk indiscriminately though. We have to walk with purpose. We walk with Him. You know, and, and there's going to be times in our life that we're going to go around that same mountain again. We're going to go around that same landmark. Like that, that movie. And I, I, don't, I don't think I saw the whole movie. I can only picture one scene out of it. It was with Chevy Chase. Probably one of the vacation movies. And they're in England. And they're driving around this big circle. And if you've ever been to Europe, and they're driving around and they're trying to get off of this big Gloriette or whatever they're called. And he goes, hey kids, look, it's Big Ben. A few minutes later, hey kids, look, it's Big Ben. You know, I think the subtitle came up there six hours later. Hey, look, kids, shut up, Dad. You know, they just kept going around. And there's going to be times that we kind of go around the same thing. You know, we need to grab, get people out and show us the right way, but keep moving. Don't stop. You're going to get run over if you stop. Now, we're talking about walking. Walking, is, well, I don't want to get us confused. It's not work. It sounds like I'm saying you have to do more. You have to walk. You have to do more. No. And yes. No and yes. You can't work your way to heaven. You can't just do works. That's not what I'm saying. It's not about doing things or these works. But if you don't do them, Christianity won't work. You, we can't just sit back and say, well, it's not about work, so I'm not going to do anything. We don't do it in order to gain salvation. But He's given us these ways to live, and so we have to purpose ourselves to agree with what He says and say, I'm going to do this. Talks about pray continually. So we don't beat ourselves up when we pray continually, but he's teaching us why there's a there's a principle to be learned. So we walk, we work in order to, to to keep our life in him fresh, not in order to gain his love. It's like communication in your in your marriage. All of you us know we need to communicate with your spouse and guys if we go home every night and say, Okay, let's communicate. <laughs> I understand that you need at least 45 minutes of communication with me every night. The game doesn't start for 50. So tonight you get five bonus minutes. How was your day? Ladies, is that going to be fulfilling? <laughs> Some of you are going, that's what I get. I'll be glad to get that. No, no putting the, the elbow in the ribs. It doesn't, that's not relationship. But yet, if you want that good relationship, you go home after work. And you go, I don't understand this. 
I'm a guy. I'm thick-headed. My wife needs to spend time with me, but I want to be in relationship with her. I want to love her. I want to go deep in our marriage. I'm just going to spend time with her. You're doing the same thing, but with a different heart. That's the difference with working for God and working in Him. It's that passion and love for God. We can do the same things, but with the different motives of God says if I spend time with Him, if I pray, if I do these things, my life will be blessed, my walk will be blessed, my relationship will go deeper. I want that. Not because I have to and I'm fulfilling some type of chart, but because it's going to be good. Last section, I'm going to end after, after this because it ties into it. It says, Rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith as you have been taught. So we've come, we've come away from these things and now it's talking about being rooted and built up. So now we're a tree. Okay, you're a tree and you've got to look at the picture here. You've got roots and they go down deep and they know how to stay in the ground. Trees know how to stay in the ground. But as your roots are going out, you grow taller and you're being built up more branches, more fruit. If you're a fruit tree, you've got, you've got these things, the pine cones, whatever it is. But, but as a tree... You know how to do this. It's inside of you to grow in your root system and, and above. You know, trees don't struggle to grow. They don't groan, grunt. They don't groan. But they, need what, they know what they need to grow and they look for it. I was a, the maintenance guy at the school for a few years and I learned about, about some plants and, and mostly grass. But, but we can take some examples from plants this way. They know what they need. Have you ever seen a, a, a tree that, that started growing crooked, maybe something happened that starts growing the other way? The tree is growing towards the sun. If you've got a lot of shade on a building, the, the plant won't grow as much there. It's going to grow towards the sun. It knows what it needs and it looks for it. Trees, when they first get planted, they, some of them put down a taproot. It's looking for a big source of water. And then they send out the roots because the tree knows it needs nutrients and waters and it goes through. It's not a struggle. It just knows, hey, if I want to grow, I'm going to send out my roots. I'm going to go up this way. I'm going to look for the sun. I'm going to stay away from obstacles. Two trees that get planted together, they begin to either merge and become one or they start growing a little bit apart because their branches are actually pushing them apart from each other. They're amazing. This is all in the DNA of a tree. Of a tree. Should we be the same? We know what it takes for us to grow. We need time with the Lord. We need the, the water of His Word. We need the presence of the Son in our life. It's not about working and straining and grunting and growing, but we're going to die. We're going to be uprooted if we don't have a good root system. We're going we're gonna to die if we don't get in contact with the Son. We need to be rooted and built up in Him established in the faith as we've been taught. And that's what we're doing here. We're teaching. Helping us to grow, to be edified, to be strengthened. If your root system is weak, you're going to fall down. If your root system is weak, you're going to fall down. There's another thing about, about grass and, and trees too, but, but I know this is about grass. If you lightly water grass, it will turn green, but it will have a shallow root system. And the moment the water turns off for just a day or two, 
your grass will die quickly. You've, you've seen that. In order for grass to grow strong, you're supposed to actually get sand in so that the water can penetrate down. And you want to get the water about 8 to 12 inches below the grass. And the grass will actually send its root system all the way down, 8, 10, 12 inches into the ground. And when, when that is healthy and the roots are deep with the grass, you can turn off the water for a while. It may even begin to wither and get brown, but it will come back to life strong because it's rooted and deepened. We need to not have shallow sprinklings of the Word of God in our life. We look really good. You get out of a message on Sunday and you go, oh, that was just a great message. I feel great. And then we have a little message here. We need to have the deep nourishing of a relationship with the Lord. It needs to be in our inner man, not just a little here and a little there. You'll look really good from the outside, but you'll fall. You'll die. You'll wither. It needs to grow deep. We need to be rooted and established in Him as we've been taught. In closing this, we abound in all of those things with thanksgiving. We abound in these things. The word abound means overflowing. It's like a picture of a river that's overflowing its banks. It's got so much water and it doesn't know what to do with all of it. And it just floods everywhere. That's what Paul's the prayer is. That's what he wants from us. That's what the Lord wants from us. To abound in these things. That our, we would be established and our root system would be great. And we would have an excess. Not just for me, but for anyone around me. And we can do that with thanksgiving and be thankful to Him. We're going to pick up on verse verse 8, but as we close, thanksgiving. Wrap all these things up and, and our life is going to be wrapped up and, and tied together in giving thanks to Him continually for all these things that He's already done. Some of the reasons we don't some of these do some of these things is because we're unhappy. We think we deserve something more and something different. So we even question, what are we doing with God? But we need to just begin to give Him thanks and press into Him and say, Lord, I don't understand this trial, but I thank You for what I have. There's a message that if you want to go back and find it online, I preached it in November of, of three years ago, 2009. It was called Thanks Shalat. And when you give thanks to God, He gives you the ability to enjoy the things that you have. So, God, we want to give you thanks for what we have so that we can enjoy it. We can enjoy our life in you. We want to be rooted and established in you. God, draw us closer to you. Help us to see the things that we need to get out of our life. God, the things that we need to put aside. We desire to be established in faith, in you, to walk in you. Lord, knit our hearts together with other believers. Make us people of prayer. We thank you for the word in Colossians this morning. Lord, I, I want to pray a, a blessing upon the life groups as they go and they talk about the depths of this passage this week. Stir up things. Let their hearts be knit together in the moment of life group. Let their hearts be challenging and strengthening each other and encouraging one another as they find the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Thank you for our time. In Jesus' name, amen.